0: Hello and welcome to the Roga Report podcast. This week we've got another, I think it's fair to say, a poor result to look at. Sunland drew 1-1 with Doncaster Rovers at the Mode Stadium. A heartbreaking 93rd minute equaliser that was there for everyone to see, apart from Phil Parkinson, who refused to make substitutions until the 81st minute. But anyway, but
1: we'll get into all of that here. I've got Gav with me, our evil emperor, as I dubbed him on Twitter. How are you doing, Gav? I was all right till I remembered I had to talk about Sunderland, and now I'm... Back to feeling like shit. So let's go, eh? Yeah, okay. He's rarer to go. And Tom <laughs> Albright, we've never done a podcast before. Tom, how are you doing?
2: No, I'm fine. How are you, sir? I am well. I am well, sir, Thanks.
1: That's more polite than you normally are, sir. Yeah, this is. Use... I'm
2: reforming my character. <laughs> it's, it's, it's never too late to reform
1: it? your character, is it? Um. So I
0: thought today would start with some positives because last week was negative. <laughs> Everything around Sunderland's negatives. Now I've picked out. What what I would say was three positives from the game. The first one being a Grant Leadbetter as goal, but B Grant Leadbetter as performance. Yesterday, I thought he played well. Um, what do you make of Grant Leadbetter as renaissance this season, Tom? Because he was a player at the start there that most fans were a bit reluctant to see at the team, but he's actually sort of turned back into the player we thought we were getting eighteen months ago.
2: Yeah, I, I'm probably one of the guilty party for for being that kind of dismissive fan at the start of the season. I thought at the end of last season we. We've all mentioned it, kinda of thought his legs were gone and everything. Uh, but obviously with what come out in the summer, that that seems to have been some, you know, with what he was dealing with off the pitch, and obviously that's that's kind of been affecting him when he was on the pitch. He's had that time away from the club and fair play to him, he's come back an entirely new player. I think he's one of the few players as well in this side that has actually benefited from Phil Parkinson's system because we've in essence, we've reduced the workload on his legs. He's not being asked to run. You know, he's not run half as much. He's not being asked to be that like, like that box to box player. He's just being asked to keep it, keep it tidy, and keep things rolling in the middle of the park. So I think you know, for all the the system has many flaws, the role Ledbetter plays in it is probably one of the few good things you can take from sort of the the way we're playing football at the moment.
0: And I also think, Gav, that Ledbetter and Scowen seem to complement each other a bit, certainly more than Max Power and George Dobson's been complementing each other this season. But do you think Ledbetter and Scowen are probably the best option for us in the middle at the moment?
1: Yeah, probably down to lack of options in the position more than anything. Like, I think none of us really saw it coming with Ledbetter this season. I didn't. Anyways, at uh, start of the season, I thought he was done, really. Um, and he's obviously done really well to, to turn his career back around because... At a time when everybody would have probably uh, not really bat an eyelid if he'd retired, he's played himself back into contention. He's then established himself as a solid first teamer. Um, but the problem for Ledbetter is you've got to uh, you've got to surround him with players who can do his running for him. And Scowan, at least offers that. He's energetic. He when when we signed him, we spoke to Barnsley fans and QPR fans. So he's obviously these are fans of teams who he would played at a higher level with as well. And they all said he's a good box-to-box player, works hard, can put a tackle in. I didn't know he was a, a good passer or a particularly good dead ball player or a crosser of the ball. So we've seen different er- different facets to his game that maybe weren't expecting. But it's, it really, and we will get on to Partinson, but he's been a bit of a victim of Parkinson's system in that he's been played all over the place. Um, and it was nice yesterday to just see him play a bit deeper with Ledbetter and maybe, I guess, play a position he's more comfortable in. Although he is, like I say, good at getting forward. Uh I think I think that, that deeper role with Leadbitter suits him a lot more. And uh, I hope they just get a run of games together because the the big cloud hanging over us that isn't just Phil Partinson is that we've got a captain who's also a centre midfield player. And I'm I'm just not a fan of him. I'm not a fan of Max Power. Um and he somehow keeps finding his way back into the team, doesn't he? We need we need to give if we if we start developing partnerships, we need to give them the time to flourish and uh, hopefully like you say. Ledbetter and Scowin is the is the first choice pairing going forward because of the slim positives. That are take from yesterday's performance? I would say they they were they were good. They were the ones dictating the game and getting their foot on the ball and moving it around quickly. And yeah, against a team who I actually expected to 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 have a lot of the ball. So I'm I am struggling for positives, but if, yeah, I would say that's probably one, isn't it?
0: Well, another positive that I had noted down was, and I think this is probably too kind of a way, but I, I thought our first half performance was strong. That's the word I wrote. We played. A pretty solid away from home, away performance. We scored my goal, didn't really look like conceding and it looked like we were frustrating Doncaster. Am I being too kind of there, Tom, or do you think the first half yesterday was, you know, one of our, I mean, I think Danny Collins said on the commentary it was the best half of football he'd seen Sunderland play this season, which is probably more of a <laughs> how bad we'd be this season. But do you think that we did play well in the first half yesterday?
2: No, I think comparatively, yes, you could see we played well. In the sense that I don't think we have played that well in the first half, especially this season. But that, like you say, it just shows really how far the bars dropped down. Um, because ultimately, while it was objectively a good first half performance, it was against the Doncaster side who I, I don't really know how they even set set up the approach to approach the game. It's just everything they did seemed disjointed. There was no real plan or anything like that. So it it essentially allowed us to get on the ball and we played a lot of football in front of Doncaster. We weren't really breaking the lines too often. We did have a couple of half chances, but ultimately for how much we had the ball and how much we were spraying it about, is there is obviously concerns about the lack of opportunities we created. I mean, Ledbetter's goal, for as brilliant as what it is, that's going in 99 times out of... A, um, it's not going in, sorry, 99 times out of 100. Without that, I can't think of a clear-cut chance we really created, apart from maybe when White thought he had all day to hit the ball in the back of the net and he just didn't. But apart from that, I can't think of any real clear-cut chances. So while the football was good and... It was aesthetically, it was nice to watch, which is a change because normally it's just lump it up the white and see what sticks. So whilst that was a nice change and it was good in a sense, it was still severely lacking in a cutting edge and a ruthlessness, which teams like your Ipswiches, your Peterbras and your Hulls, who are at the very top of the table, have shown at least two or three times this season already. And
0: the last positive, which to be honest, we're not really going to touch on that much, is the fact that we're only three points from the promotion places. So, you know, as all as it's been doom and gloom, we are lucky that the rest of the league is also struggling along this season. Okay, let's jump into the negatives, because I know Gav was raring to go with negatives today. He was fuming. Rub me hands
1: together.
0: I thought that the number one point (laughs) that I took from the game yesterday was late substitutions. For me, on 60 minutes, I was making some changes um I kind of eyed up either Embleton, Embleton coming on for either Maguire or Gooch at that point I also thought maybe uh Max Power could have came on a little bit earlier as well if you're going to go for the defensive approach of trying to see out a game then that should be they're going and clearly at half time Parkinson's message to the players was shut up shop a little bit stop doing the things that were doing well in the first half and try and protect a one goal lead Gav late substitutions. How on a scale of one to ten angry were you yesterday to seeing Parkinson A advocate in the week five substitutions and then B basically ignore substitutions in a game whereby we needed them?
1: It, it just shows how clueless he is, if I'm honest. Like this this is a this is a big problem we we've got with Partinson. is I don't know what it is, he just doesn't seem to trust the players on the bench to make an impact. And that's that's it's unforgivable when you've got a squad as big as us. How many how many teams in this league? Would kill to have some of the players we have on our bench on a regular basis to pick from. Yet you don't he doesn't give them a sniff. And there was a point in that you could you could just like you've just said at half time. And this isn't the first time we've said this recently. and I don't know what he says at half time to them, but they come out with a different team. Slow. A lot a lot of the a lot of the players that were out there yesterday I felt looked tired in the second half. And the the saw the game out. I mean, White looked knackered. Gooch looked knackered yet. Yeah, they were on the pitch at the end of the game well I think did Gooch go off in injury time I mean too late too late to make a change. And, and he gets everything he deserves and I think it was Anto said it on the Player Ratings podcast and he was spot on that, that draw is on Parkinson because everybody watching and we were all talking about it in our group chat I was talking it to my me, to me mates um, who were also watching the game and that conversation would have been going on with any everybody who was watching the match everybody could see what needed to happen apart from Phil Parkinson He's the man paid to make these decisions. You know, he's, these these points could be really important come the end of the season. We we could have been very close to that top two uh, right now, talking about a win and looking a lot more optimistically towards the next game. Instead, we're, we're eighth in the table after twelve games in the worst league one there's ever been while we've been in it, and that's on him. That's on him, and and those the, the reluctance to make those changes falls to one man no one else has that decision to play with it's Phil Partinson you know you've got lads like we banged on about this last week but it's true we've got a, we've got a, an academy there producing first team players who can't get on the pitch I just don't understand it you you need you need a burst of life in your team why are you not bringing on Diamond why are you not getting Embleton on a lot earlier than what was it the 82nd minute when he came on what's he meant to do in the 82nd minute I mean what I would love to ask Parkinson this what's going through your head when you're making these decisions it's a Honestly, if I if if it didn't sound so ludicrous, I would call it per, sabotage on purpose because that's what it felt like. like. What is he doing? Why is he making this such baff like decisions that Sunderland fans can see? And he, i I think I'm said it yesterday. When a when a football manager's with fans, but even us sitting watching are going, he's knackered. Why is he not coming off? And then after an hour, you're going for we could probably do with one or two fresh bodies on here. Like you say, bearing in mind he he said we voted for that five sub rule. Um, presumably because we felt it would benefit the players to be able to change up more more of the lads who are out there, avoid injuries and stuff. We've seen it in the last couple of weeks, players like Willis playing through injuries, now he's out for a few weeks. I mean, we're stretching the players on purpose and we're not taking the chance to, to freshen things up when it's needed. And the ultimate price was paid because we threw, it, we threw away two points. And that's that's on him for me. Um, I'm still fuming about it. I, it. It really, really ticked us off yesterday, that. Because we're all seeing that coming after such a good first half, like you said, brilliant first half performance from Sun, and can't take it away from us, especially from about 25 minutes onwards until half time. We completely dominated the game. Why? Why not capitalise on that? Why go defensive and put yourself in jeopardy? I mean, he, he blamed, he was blaming the referee for not giving a penalty after the game. He, how are you, man? Fair enough. We should have had a penalty, but there's bigger decisions to be made than that. You, you, you control your own destiny when you're winning 1-0 in the 90th minute. That's on you. And Gaston and Red
0: here.
2: Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Just run the clock down? Use all the, the subs. You're not wrong, but I think a, a, more, a more pertinent point is as well, is when we're discussing the timing of substitutions, the first 10 to 15 minutes of that second half was as flat as the game. It had been all game. Because at that point, Doncaster still didn't look in the game. And we just kind of slowly drifted off. Now a good manager will have seen that opening 10-15 minutes of that second half, and realised there was an opportunity there, especially at one 0 where you can throw a, you can throw a different player on. Gooch was already looking tired before he before he got that reducer. A decent manager there is looking at that, saying right, well, I, what I could do is I've got five substitutions here at this point. I can throw on someone like Embleton or someone like Diamond, to try and make this a 2-0 game, to, to give someone half an hour to give you that option to change the game positively in your favour. Because, like you say, that opening 10-15 minutes after the second half was really stagnant and it was really stale from both sides. So when that situation arises where nobody's getting the upper hand anymore, why are you not being proactive with the five substitutions you've got and trying to positively change the game at that point, because with your additional substitutions, you can throw if you want, two or three more attacking players on, and if after fifteen minutes you're going, "This isn't working, we're to open, you can then make an extra two changes to pull yourself back from opening yourself out, so it gives yourself a perfect opportunity, whether you agree with the five subs or not, where you can try in in a burst positively affect that game. Before then, you know, making a secondary assessment on how your changes have affected that game. You look across to the Doncaster bench. Doncaster made two positive changes around the hour mark, and then Doncaster started moving slowly and slowly and slowly further up the pitch. They were moving effectively in like five or ten yard steps. You could see the way the midfielders were picking the ball up. They went from picking the ball up in their own half to the, the one end picking the ball up on the edge of our final third. At that point, when you're making your change, because we're not making it until they're on our toes, you're just too regressive. You've waited too long to make your change. Because even at that point, if you put an extra body on and say you push those midfielders an extra five or ten yards back, you haven't haven't pushed them out of your half. All you've Mm. done is you've just pushed them five or ten yards back and ultimately you've probably given them an extra couple of seconds on the ball and given the wingers an extra bit of space so you when you wait until the point when parkinson's waiting to make changes the damage is already done it's it's not soon enough and and i think that's becoming a real issue and it's starting to arise in games now because we are starting to concede late and we are starting to struggle to see games out because as an opposition manager you must look at our side as well and see the substitutions we make on a weekly basis and think if I put a player on on the 60-65 minutes mark I'm giving them half an hour to 25 minutes to change the game I can then get on the front foot I'm going to have 10 minutes on the front foot at a minimum because we, we don't make a change before 70 minutes and then by the time we make the change all we end up doing is making a like-for-like like substitutions we never make a change to, res- to even respond to what's happening on the pitch. We never put an extra midfielder on or we never go to four at the back. It's like, right, we'll just put Graham on for Wike or we'll just put Diamond on for Gooch or we'll put whoever, you know what I mean, we'll put Power on for scoring. So we never we never change what we're doing. It's just the same, but with different players. Hey, do you know the thing is, though, I know I've just said this before, but
1: just think about it this way. So Doncaster, right? For the, the the board went up five minutes of injury time. I think it was. They were they were on the ball. They were they were they were the team. Obviously one 0 down, trying to get a goal back, right? Mm-hmm. So why is he not looking at that and going, "We need to waste a little bit of time here to to take the pressure off and slow the game down"? So let's make a cup, make a make a sub one one a minute. He had he had four subs left. Make one in the ninety first. Get the next lad ready. We've got all these subs we can use now. Waste time, slow the game down. Stop any momentum Doncaster can actually um, develop. There was none of that. We just sat there and waited for it to happen, what happened. And what happened in the 90th minute could have happened at any point in that second half because Parkinson just did not react to the fact we had slowed down. You could see the energy levels of the team dropping. Players like Charlie White up front, I mean, he's absolutely hopeless-like, but he, he does run about and he was knackered. He was absolutely frigged, you could just tell. Put someone else up front and let them do that running for half an hour. I mean, it's not rocket science, that. I, 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 how many people here have, have played footy, listening people played footy, coached kids, football teams, and things like that? You don't have to be an expert to know that if a player's looking tired, you take them off, and you bring some fresh legs on, even if it is a life-for-life change. You know what I mean? White White yesterday was useless. He didn't win a header. He couldn't trap a bag of sand. He got pushed all over. There was one instance which just summed his performance up. Where the centre half won a header in their box and he clattered through the back of White when he won the header. And it was because he was just stood still staring at the ball. Like he was useless. That was White at his worst sort of thing. How did he see the full game out yesterday? Like that's just bad management, in my opinion.
2: Another thing is as well, in the second half, Maguire had totally drifted out that game. He's another one, in he? He's another one who's just looked hopeless from the first yep. minute. Just why is he on the pitch still? This is where I was going to come to. Is this is my annoyance? Any decent manager can say at 60 minutes. White's getting t- White was tired, right? And Maguire is became completely ineffectual in the in the second half. You've got five subs. We've got plenty of attackers on the bench. We could have made two changes that could have pushed Doncaster back into their own half again. We could have we could have put ourselves in the ascendancy there and killed the game off because we've got the attacking options on the on the bench where we could have all those two players and at least put Doncaster on the back foot. And instead, we haven't Darren Moore has stood on the touchline and he's been allowed to make substitutions, which have just got Doncaster on the front foot. And mm. our response was just absolutely nothing. And that's that's what's driving people up the wall. Is there's no there's no tactical nous there at all.
1: Can I let me ask
2: you this? I know you're hosting, but let me ask. See,
1: what do you, why do you think he doesn't trust squad players? Because you've been around them, right? You've been around those players. Why does he not? What, what is it? Why why does he not trust them to come on and do something? This isn't just a recent problem. This is a this is something that's he's he's always been like this. Like why does he not trust like Jack Diamond to come on and carry the ball up the pitch or Danny Graham to run about for half an hour? Like what is it? What is about this bloke that like, he just doesn't trust squad players? I just don't I get think, it.
0: I think it's because he's a, I mean, I spoke to somebody yesterday who said that basically he's a Tramia Rovers manager. That's what that's his level. You know, he's meant to be a a smaller kind of club, and he's probably never ever had an academy to work with he's probably never ever had players who are 18 years old who are capable of playing first team football and i think the reality is is and we all know this he's a old school manager whose values reps in the game over actual ability he will look at max power and he'll look at Dan Neil and he'll go he'll not look at how they're playing he just looks at the fact well max power's played 200 games in league one so logically mm-hmm. he's the option and i think i don't even think you have to have been around him to have noticed this you know it's 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 who he is as a football manager he's the standard league one manager who probably works best with little resources and getting the best out of sort of 14 players that's probably why he's so reluctant to make substitutions because it's almost ingrained in him that you kind of just plow on with what you've got I mean he's just he was the wrong appointment at the time and we all know this and I think it's become patently obvious that he's still the wrong appointment and but basically are just going to be farting into the wind, pissing in the wind, not farting in the wind, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> we're going to be pissing in the wind though as long as he's manager here because he, he won't change who he is, he won't change how we're playing. We'll go to Fleetwood next week and we'll line up exactly the same way and we'll probably be, you know, if we do go 1-0 up, we'll be playing the same way in the second half. He doesn't learn from his errors. We saw this, we played Fleetwood in the Cup the other week and so many of them good young players impressed and were better than what we've got we were creating chances and he's never them back in since you know that's the sign of me he's just just a bad manager but another point i want to make to jump onto half time what is he saying in the dressing room at half time because i watched that game in the first half i thought we will win this game if we continue playing in this manner i don't think we created many chances but i think we would have created chances over the 90 minutes if we continued playing like that what is he actually saying to the team at half time like is he literally going right, okay, we're going to one the lead. We're not going to try and get a second. We've just got to see it out. Because that, that's what it looks like to me. I mean, I don't know what you think, Tom, What? what what's your view on that?
2: Does he command respect in the dressing room? I know where we're kind of like interviewing the horse here, but is, is he the kind of manager where the players are are respectful or even fearful of him like they would be with a Keane or a De Canio or a
0: you know i've not been in the dressing room i can tell you from my experiences with him he's a very quiet bloke he's the kind of bloke where if you walk past him in the corridor he might not say hello to you. he's yeah. whereas jack ross while you know i had sort of other issues with him he was always a big person you know he was always friendly he would talk to people phil parkinson's kind of not like that he's kind of reminds me of like the awkward it bloke at work like that—that's uh, yeah, kind yeah. of the feeling you get, and I've said that because Gav's a IT person, but that's what he kind of reminds me of. You know, he's—he's he's just like, oh, I don't want to say hello. He'll walk, and st- if he's the kind of person where if you're walking down the corridor with him, he'll try and find another route so he doesn't have to bump into you. Oh, yeah. That's the impression that I got from him. Now his assistants, like Steve Poggin, was always the opposite. He—he's—he's he's the guy who looks after training. Um, he's the the character around the place, whereas Parkinson was kind of this, don't know, kind of a. This is a bit of an odd bloke, really. No. Yeah,
2: <laughs> way, we, so just, but but just to bring it back, back to your question, so I can kind of answer that question is I think that's the problem. That that's the feeling I get. I don't think is he, he cuts across as a confrontational kind of bloke. So I think when he's in the dressing room, I can't imagine him being a shouty gaffer or someone who's gonna really G you up for when you're going out that second half. You know, you see you see players come out, and my I don't know whether it's just a kind of a fantasist idea but I kind of look look at it and think as a footballer what do I want when I'm coming out of the second half and I think you want a gaffer who's going to be he's going to be shouting at you he's going to be driving you he's going to give you that that impetus that energy so you start the second half quickly and I just don't feel like Parkinson's giving anyone that and I'm not sure Parkinson's actually commanding respect from the players I think the way a lot of players are playing their football just kind of just under his reign I don't there's times where I look at the players and I think, are you actually just completely ignoring what he's saying? Because I don't know what else you can do. Like, you're Lyndon Gooch. Like, Gooch knows how good he is. We know how good he can be. He's played five different positions in 11 games. Like, is there a point where Gooch is just being like, I'll play, but I'm not going to listen to you because you quite clearly don't know what you're doing? I, and he's a player who's expressed in public and on other podcasts that I want to be playing further up the pitch. I wanna be buzzing in and around in and around Charlie White. I want to be getting on the edge of the box. He's played at every position but. And I just kind of think our players, you know, I, I don't blame them for it. Our players just, you know, not fearful of him and ultimately not as respectful as maybe they should be, but because he's not earned their respect. You've
0: kind of hit the nail on the head there. And if you think about Gav mentioned the Charlie White miss yesterday. And I think about Will Griggs miss. The week before where he had an open net and it looked like he was going to get clattered and he pulled out. I feel like this team won't walk through walls for this manager. I feel like this team isn't committed to this manager. And you're seeing that by yesterday, Charlie White didn't go to attack. They didn't have the desire to score that goal. And I feel like if you had a manager who was had everyone on the same page and had that kind of getting everyone together as one heading in the same direction I think you would have saw Will Grigg would have put himself at risk to score last mm-hmm. week. You would have saw Charlie White, you know, showing the desire to actually go win the header rather than let the ball come to him. And I think that's a, you know, it's a minor thing that maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I don't think you would see, you know, a Josie Mourinho team when they're in that peak and everyone's playing for that shirt, they would have went and showed the desire to score that goals, Gav. You
1: know, you know what it is? You're you bang on there. Like, it's like, I don't think it's rocket science what needs to happen here. And, and say Pottington got sacked, right? And on Friday night, there's a new manager. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but just theoretically, right? All that person has to do to get an extra 10% out of these players is gee them up, you know? Make them feel better about themselves. Good man management. Go back to basics. Play people in their proper positions in a system that suits them and make them feel good about themselves. Let them express themselves creatively. This is the most creatively suppressed Sun and team I've ever seen. I just think it's it's like... Like you said before, Gooch has played about five different positions. It's because they're playing, in it, they're playing to a system rather than. You can't imagine them going out, for instance, in and saying to Lyndon Gooch, you just get the ball, son, and drive at them and do what you want. Like, let, give them players free roles. That, that, that's off the table in this team. There's no way that happens. And that's why Aiden McGeady's not fancied by him because he's the type of player that you let that happen with. It's probably why you're not going to see much of Diamond unless it's playing out of position at wing back it's probably why maguire has been shit all season because he's a player who loves to just do what he wants there are certain players in this team who have to be allowed to express themselves to get the best from them players like led players like power will do a job you know what i mean they'll, they'll, they'll go in and they know their role in the team and i'm fine with that i'm fine with the defenders being told this is your role and this is how you perform it and play it out but your attacking players have to be have to be creative and at the minute Unless our fullbacks get down the byline and cross the ball in, where's the, where's the creative play coming from? That's a big that's a big problem with Partinson for me. The, and as long as he's here, you're not going to see you're not going to see enough like that. Go, I remember I said it actually before the game in our chat. So when was the last time you saw someone score a screamer? And then we went and done it yesterday, right? Which was quite ironic. But it's like under Ross, and I'm not. I don't think Jack Ross was a particularly good manager. And I'm not. I'm not saying well things would have been better under Jack Ross. But my point is is that when Ross was manager. We often scored good goals because he let his attacking players play with freedom, and I don't think it would take that much more if a new manager came in to get more out of this squad. That's just, and I, I honestly I would defy anybody to tell us this squad's not good enough. Look at every other squad in this league. This is more than enough to get Sonnen over the line. It's just they're not being played properly. I mean, just to finish on that on that point, but I mean, how how can you how can a manager have a striker with the record Will Griggs has got in the lower leagues and not not have even attempted to get something from him. I'm not saying Griggs the answer by any means. But there's a reason there's a reason why when he when he started last week he he missed from a couple of yards out. You tell me he's ever had the arm around him and been taught, I believe in you, son. You're gonna get a run of six or seven games to prove yourself. Just don't worry about it. If you have a bad day on Saturday, don't worry about it, you'll be in the team after that. Like, that's what you need, don't you? You need a manager who's gonna make these players feel confident about themselves and I, I I don't think you have to be an expert to, to say that that's not happening. It's not happened all season. And that's why we struggle to score goals, really.
0: I, th- I think, just to kind of close this one off, and then we'll move on to more parky bashing in a minute. But <laughs> if you look at the Aiden McGeady situation, probably the last time I mentioned him, Aidan McGeady isn't in the squad essentially because he's confrontational. That seems to be what we've got from this is he's, he's maybe difficult to manage. He maybe has high expectations. You, know, you kind of heard that thing about the Akron Stanley game where he went through the players because we were drawn against Akron Stanley. To me, that that just shows Phil Parkinson. He's avoiding the confrontation. It's easier for Phil Parkinson not to deal with Aiden McGeady to get something out of a very good player than it is to have him in there and maybe causing him issues because he's asking him why we're playing in this way. If Aiden McGeady was in this dressing room right now, I don't think he would be standing up for the way that we're playing. He wouldn't have yeah. accepted that second half performance yesterday. Yeah. And I think... While McGeady's got his issues, I'm not saying he's the answer. He's he's one of them players in there, though, like what Lee Catamore would have been previously, who would stick his hand up and say, no, this isn't right, we're doing this wrong. And I think Parkinson doesn't respect that.
2: He treats the players like they're not intelligent. We know that Embleton, Gooch, McGeady, and these are intelligent footballers, and it just feels like he's not he's not allowing them, he's not treating them like intelligent footballers. He's just trying to put square pegs in round holes. Because he doesn't know what else to do with them. And I just think, like like you see with the, the McGeady thing and the, the comfort, confrontational edge about it and all the rest of it, is sometimes you've got to have a little bit of chaos. Sometimes you've got to have that like troubled genius in that squad. Because it's those players who, yes, they may be confrontational. Yes, they may be demanding. But these are the players who are going to give you the cutting edge. And whether you're a McGeady fan or not, you kind of look back at the end of last season when we really needed someone to stand up and be that creative outlet. McGeady stood himself up and he put in two really good performances at Wembley at the end of the of, of that Jack Ross season especially as a means of standing up and saying, look, if somebody needs to stand up and grab it by the balls, I'll be that kind of player. And if for him to do that, he's got to be a confrontational arsehole because we're not beating that Rick and Stanley, then so be it. Sometimes you've just got to accept that it's got to come as a package for you to be able to have those luxuries.
1: Mm. Just to go back to something Connor said as well um, about how McGeady wouldn't have stood for that. And I'm, I don't know if we're going to come on this or not, so I might be jumping the shark here. But like, when Parkinson comes out after the game and tries to make excuses for us drawing and tries to talk the performance up, I mean, that's unacceptable. Like It shows how far the standards have slipped at the club, whereby... The manager's coming out in front of the press, and he's trying to protect his players, but he's actually embarrassing them by saying what he's saying. Like, there's no way you should be coming out after that and saying that we oh, were hard done to. Your players have just tossed away three points in the nine, in the injury time, and yes, and you're coming you're coming on the radio and saying, "Well, that's a good result because these these beat Lincoln and Ipswich at home." Well, Sunderland, we're meant to be we're meant to be the biggest club in League One. Act like it. Don't act like you're a Bolton manager or a Colchester manager anymore. Act like the manager of Sunderland. Come out and say that's not good enough. Come out and, and and let the fans know that you are on the same page as them. Because not one Sunderland fan came out after yesterday and went, ah, well, you know, that's a good point, you know, because because they beat Ipswich and Lincoln at home. I'd be furious if one of my mates came out and said that. That's what my mate. If, if another Sunderland fan come out and says that, I would, I'd be like, what are you on about? You, you can't think like that.
0: You did jump the shot there, Gavin. That was the next point, was politics oh, cool. post-game comments. But I'll read out what he said, the particular thing that upset me. Um, he said, our boys have got to take a lot of heart from the way they played today. These beat Ipswich in Lincoln. So, Gav's already had his two cents on that. But, Tom, what what, what do you make of that? You know, Sunderland normalising the fact that Sunderland drawn away at Doncaster as a good result.
2: What I would say is, is we're all guilty of seeing things and thinking... Why did I say that? And our solo manager, Phil Parkinson, should probably think before he speaks because saying stuff like that, for me, is just outright offensive to everybody who's paid to watch that game of football. It is just so detached from the reality of the situation. It's offensive to say that the manager of such a highly regarded club has such low expectations... For for the squad of players he has, and it's it's just one of those things. I think why have you said that? It got at that point, I, you know, if we cast cast back to last season, there was a press conference where Parkinson just decided he didn't want to do it and sent Steve Parkin to do it, and everyone was like, "Well, what's he doing? Is he doing it to avoid the scrutiny and so on and so forth?" And when he made those comments, I just thought, you know what it is? I'd rather you bottle it and send your assistant to take the flag. And come out and say stuff like that because it it is just flat out offensive. Don't don't subject Sundon fans to the football that we've sub been subject to this season so far, and then come out and go, Oh, well, that was alright, wasn't it? Because no, it fucking wasn't all right. There was no part of that game, for maybe the 20 minutes before half time where you could go, that's alright. As a Sunday fan, where you could go, that's all right, I'm happy with that. We've underperformed almost. All of this season, the football has been turgid to the point where a lot of people are just completely switching off, not buying the stream and passes and, and so on and so forth. And I, I just I don't know why he's saying these things because it, it's almost like he's coming out there just to wind everyone up when he's saying these things because we know it's not acceptable. The players aren't thick. They know that results like that aren't, aren't acceptable either, right? So why is he coming out? And trying to normalize this kind of stuff, if that's the best analysis he has to offer post game, I'd rather him just not provide any analysis at all because I would I would rather him hide away and say nothing, but but be annoyed that he's not said anything than be as annoyed as what I get when he comes out and he just says the stupidest shit.
1: <laughs> Do you know what it is, right? We, I'm just looking at it now. We have the last five games, we've won one game of the last five all competitions, right? We haven't kept a clean sheet in our time. So it, really he should be coming out and you should be saying it's not good enough. We haven't kept a clean sheet since the Ipswich game uh, since the Chilnham game, sorry. Um we, we beat Ipswich 2-1 very fortunately. We lost to Mansfield in the FA Cup which was an absolute embarrassment. The worst result got, in our history
0: somebody wants yeah, to Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Mm. <laughs> um losing to Fleetwood in the trophy, I guess nobody cares about it was still a loss. Um we lost to MK Dons who never won away from home since September 2019 and then threw away three points in the in the in the 93rd minute or whatever it was like be honest with you. he cannot seriously think that's okay directly went in the dressing room and slammed them because I, I i doubt he did i don't i, I actually think i actually think phil parkinson believes the shit that comes out of his mouth it's after every game I, I can't remember charlie White had a shocker like last month i can't remember who against he's had that many to be fair, but he had a shocker against somebody last month and he come out after the game and the first thing he did was praise Charlie White when everybody was slagging him off. Like, to be honest, that's probably why you're in the position you're in where you're hanging on to your job by by the skin of your teeth because nobody believes the shit coming out of your mouth and if you're coming out and saying it in front of the fans, what do the players think of him? They must think he's a joke. There'll be players listening to this, I imagine that I, I would want to know what the fans are saying and I guarantee that, 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 that they're not nodding the head when we're saying this stuff. They've got to be. Because it would piss me off if the manager of my, of my team and the manager of the players I play with was so inept that he comes out after games and thinks throwing away three points when
2: you when you're in the driving seat is acceptable. Do you, do you feel uh, that he's almost trying to normalise mediocrity because that'll bring less scrutiny than if he does hold his hands up and go, "Well, this is shit. It needs to get better." Because as soon as he comes and says that, it. And like Connors said before, he's not a confrontational kind of blow. Do you think he's afraid to say those things, be it publicly or the players, because it's going to bring a level of scrutiny upon himself that he knows he can't adjust, because he's proven that he cannot adjust this side accordingly? So do you think he's trying to normalise just us being bang average, because if he eventually, if he gets to that stage, he can get away with shit like this?
1: I don't know. I honestly just think he's a dead man walking and he knows it. Like, I think he knows he's gone soon. He knows that as soon as this takeover happens, he'll be out of a job. And it's pointless even coming out and fighting battles anymore because he knows that like, could be gone in a matter of weeks. Mm-hmm. I, honestly, I honestly think that's all it is. I think I think Parkinson knows as well as we do that, he's not going to hang on to his job for very much longer. Um, But some I can't remember who made, I think it was Bomber made this point on the player rating show yesterday. Wouldn't you think uh, anybody in that position, wouldn't you think they would come out fighting? To at least, even if it's not to show these owners that he that he's worth keeping, but to show whoever employs him next, or if he goes for another job after this, that he's he's not a bad manager and he's just been a victim of circumstance. Like, he's not going to get a good reference off Sunderland, can't because the way we're, who 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 would, who would want this man in tr- like I'm 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 not joking. Like, look at Mansfield appointing Nigel Clough in League Two. Like, would they want this idiot? Would any how many League Two clubs would want Phil Parkinson as a manager? Why is he our manager? I've just Honest, I'm past the point now with him. Like He has to go. People saying, oh, well, it's ultimately down to the ownership and this, that, and the other. All right, fair enough. And maybe we can't appoint a new manager until there is an ownership change. But surely we're past the point now of like allowing him to keep making these mistakes and throw away promotion, which it feels like he's doing. Like I honestly don't think we could do any worse than sacking him and putting a caretaker in charge. Like Let somebody else just take the team, even if it's for the next game. And then the takeover's done by the, I don't know, the Wigan match. Like, just get rid of him. Seriously, we couldn't do it any worse than putting some old bloke in from the social club and get him to pick the subs. Honestly, I'm, I'm at that stage with Barton somewhere. I just can't understand why he's still got a job. It, it must be money-related. But, again, I, I'm just... I'm, I'm really, like, worried now. I'm worried about going into this Fleetwood. Barton will be licking his lips playing Sonnen right now. Like, what a... Can't, couldn't ask for a better time to be playing Sunderland at home. He'll be, he'll be loving it. And if we're, if we're sat here next weekend talking about another loss with this bloke in charge, we, we could be looking at another year in League One if we're not careful. Like, we've got Burton to come after that, who are a bogey team. linking away, where we got comfortably beaten last season, who are doing all right, not long after that. We could be going into Christmas in a very bad position. It's like, how long do you let this carry on? How, lo- how long do we allow Parkinson to just stay in charge? Because circumstances dictate that we can't maybe it's not wise to sack him yet because there might be an ownership change like uh, continuing to leave him in his position is actually causing irreparable damage in my opinion how we're still in a position where we're close to the top two is unbelievable because this this football this season's just been horrendous and the last couple of results have have, have sort of summed up the way the season's gone so far I mean no wins in the last four in all competitions is pretty criminal in my view for a team who should be looking to challenge in the Regardless of whether it's a, a a joke competition, it's the League One and League Two trophy. Sunderland should be looking to compete in that. We we were through, fair enough. But then the FA Cup, you kind of be getting beat off a team who was crap as Mansfield. I mean, I'm rambling here. Like I'm just so pissed off by it all. Ah, fuck me, man. But Gav's just on the it's, fence, it's anyway. Me, oh, oh yeah, that's that, good I It's
0: good to I know Gav's me. position. He's on the fence at the minute. Um, I'm <laughs> going to jump to some Twitter questions. Um, one thing that's been pointed out to her, and it's kind of just sort of broke as we're recording, is, number one, the son are reporting that Nigel Pearson and that man, Kevin Phillips, who's always uh, linked whenever any sort of vacancy around Sunderland comes, but he would be coming in as an assistant. Um, somebody called Matty Pauls, an American financier, is apparently... Also interested, so Tom will throw it to you so Gav can get his breath back. Um, <laughs> and what do you make of pressure. this Nigel Pearson and Kevin Phillips news? And what do you think of another potential new name thrown into the, the takeover that is Sunday FC? Uh,
2: well, it's just takeover bingo in it, it's just you know, pick a random millionaire and you oh, know, rin- rinse energy and drink owner, yeah, or energy drink owner, yes, of course. You know, we wouldn't want to discount those guys, would we? Let's cut off AFL badge. Um, but no, as as far as the ownership concerned, I I've never even heard of the guy. Much like I hadn't really heard of Dreyfus, uh, so I'm probably not gonna pass comment on that purely because if that is legit, it'll be. I would assume it's very much in its infancy. So I'd, I don't know how much we can say on that. In terms of the P S N Phillips thing, we've been here before. It's been discussed many a time. There just seem two names that seem to be dragged up every time the name, you know, the word Sunland Managerial Vacancy also pop up. Um, for my money, probably not what we want, not what we need, Um I think if if we are serious about improving as a side and getting back into at least the championship, is we probably need to be looking for managers who've got a bit more of a philosophy and identity. And I don't really think Pearson really brings much of that. Though he would bring the kind of confrontational, that energy, that bit of a oh this bloke's a bit of a mad bastard energy. Um, that's you know that's part of what we need. It isn't all of what we need. We need someone who's going to really work in with the academy, the facilities, and the squad they have. And as well, at the moment, with salary caps, is who is able to work to quite a stringent budget. So, on a personal opinion, I don't think P S N and Phillips would be the answer going forward. And as far as the ownerships concerned, is I, I honestly don't know how far into that process they are. So. We don't know how legitimate a candidate he is,
1: Gav.
0: Now keep this one short and sweet. I'm yeah,
1: gonna... um, I'm just going to write that straight off because if the plan is to appoint a sporting director, then why would they be discussing who the manager is now? Like the sporting director should be making that decision. It's just a, it's just a lazy Sunday rumor in a tabloid newspaper that often talks shit. No, so, yeah, the Sun.
0: I thought it was the most trusted it's one. Just, um, it's not happening. Got a, another question here. Back onto our good friend Philip Parkinson um, from Cameron Johnson. Do you feel Parkinson's one big win, one big one big win away at the Fleetwood on Friday from getting Sunderland back on, on track, or could defeat theoretically? be the last game for his managerial reign at Sunderland. Do you see how bad I am at reading out loud there? I really, really <laughs> I really, really, fucked that one up there. Um, Gav, what do you make then? Do you think Parkinson, a win next week against Fleetwood, would would all be rosy in Sunderland World? No. And do you think a defeat could well be the nail in that coffin? It's,
1: like I said, he's a dead man walking. I don't think it matters if a win, lose, or draw. As soon as there's an ownership change, he's gone. Because no new ownership or sporting director worth assault is going to want to work with him. He's an absolute dinosaur. He'll be out, He'll be the first one out the door
0: so no. <laughs> okay, Ross Hall, he asks, why would a manager who is scared of making substitutions vote to increase the amount he can to five? Because he's a divvy. Okay. To yes. that one Tom, do you agree, or do you think part uh, of really more than
2: that? Uh, probably what Gav says, just cognitive dissonance, <laughs> isn't it? Like, you know, why are you voting for five subs, but you're a man who only really makes three substitutions when you're absolutely pushed to do so? Just you know, what, what say is what he believes in and what he does, the two just don't compute.
0: So let's just in this one from Neil Greaves, uh, let's just say that the takeover doesn't go through or it takes longer. How long do you think it will take for Sunderland to get rid of Phil Parkinson? Or do you think he will be here for as long as the current owners are in? Gav, what do you mean of
1: that? I think if that is, just say we have a, a Dell style fall through of the takeover, like at the last minute. Then I think we'll sack him. I think I only think the reason he hasn't been sacked is because of that takeover. So if the whole thing falls through and they're like, it's a bit like after the Dell thing where they had to just they had to just and, and after the the Mark Campbell takeover fell through, they had to just at at a point just say right we need to we need to start planning for the future again, regardless of the takeover situation. And I think they'll do they would have to do that. Um, the the no they they know as well as we do we have to get promoted this season. The longer you leave him in charge, the long. The less time you have to actually make a positive impact, like somebody, I think, it was when Cameron's question was, "We probably are only one win from getting back on back on track." So really, changing manager while we're still in the mix is is probably a good thing. A bit like when when Jack Ross left, you knew he had to be replaced, and the although we were still within touching distance of the playoff places and the promotion places, we made a change because it, we thought it was for the best. Obviously, they made a terrible appointment, but you would like to think they wouldn't make the same mistake twice. So, <laughs> 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 Good
0: one, Gavin. Um, another point to make there is can the club afford to pay up, what, eighty months of Phil Parkinson's contract, which would probably be about 300,000 quid in well, this climate.
1: Weird,
2: weird up, weighed up, can they afford to not go up?
0: Well, they didn't it, go up last year.
2: Is it a hit you just accept? You've also got to consider is spending 300 grand now to get rid of Phil Parkinson, but... You give yourself a better chance of going up. Is that a risk worth taking? Sometimes you've got to speculate to accumulate. So you know, if you if suddenly you know we appointed a new, got rid of Parkinson, appointed new managers, went on a brilliant run, and somehow got promoted, whether it was automatics or via the playoffs, then all of a sudden that three hundred thousand pound is the three best three hundred grand you've spent all season.
0: The question here from Stephen Scott, can we not put more pressure on Donald and do you believe all this takeover talk? Well, last week, Stephen, we did talk about the takeover at length. As fans, can we put more pressure on Stuart Donald and Charlie Methven? I don't really think we could because A, they're not involved. B, we can't go to games. Um, the only really way to hit them at the minute is not buying the streams, but I feel like not buying the streams would also... Be a bit counterproductive because a fans want to watch the game, so I, I don't really know. But do you guys have any more to add on that? Do you think we can, as fans, put more pressure on the owners? No. no. What
1: What can you do? What can you really do? I mean, the, the, they're trying. We, do, we believe we believe they're in talks to sell the club. Until we un, un until we hear differently, then what what can we really do? I mean, if if they manage to fuck the Dreyfus one up like they did with Dell, then it's fair game, isn't it? Like yeah, but even then what could you do?
2: <laughs> yes. Well, this Not is much. the thing we've we've tried we've tried what once or twice, and it it's just kind of swatted away, and and they've got this, uh, you know, this ability of that. I feel like they're probably detached enough from the club now that whenever the fans pop up, whenever the Donald Outs hashtag get you know gets a bit of traction again, is and, and personally I don't blame them because they've positioned themselves well is they put themselves in a state where they can just go, ah, well, we'll leave it a couple of weeks and it'll just be gone. And it's just because, you know, collectively we can't keep up the momentum of, you know, keeping that pressure on constantly because it would just, you know, whether you agree or not, it does tend to divide the fan base, not so much down the middle anymore, more of a 70-30 split, but it just creates tension where there doesn't really need to be any tension, especially if it's not producing any results.
0: Last question here, and I think this is actually one we touched on last week, but it's from M Jacko, 1989 Is anyone concerned about the amount of fans that are losing interest? Supporters are finding other things to do with their time. I don't know how they're finding other things to do when there is nothing to do at the minute. But I think there is an argument to say that supporters are losing interest. I've certainly got friends who are season ticket holders who are now not watching the games on the weekend because A, the football's crap, B, the service the club are providing is better but it is still just one camera, which makes it very difficult to watch and sort of isn't a sight of that. The coverage against MK Dons made the game more enjoyable for me. I I could I got more out of that match because there was better coverage. So I am concerned about fans losing interest. Gav, what, what do you think?
1: Well, any anyone who read the site this week will have seen a really good article from Craig Davies about these kids. Um, and it resonated with quite a lot of people. I noticed when when it was being shared around on social media, Lots of people saying, I know exactly how, how you feel. My kids are going through the same thing. It's like Sunderland are a club traditionally built around like families go, like dad's taking their sons and mom's taking their kids and what have you. It's like it's always been a bit of a family club, but I have got a nephew who's 16. The whole time he's supported Sunderland, it's, we've been crap. Like, he went to Wembley a few times, obviously, which is great, but he's never seen us win there. But the team generally in, in league performance has never been good in his lifetime. Um, and I'm worried that. Right now, we're we're not we're not trying enough to keep those fans on board. The young fans who who really do have more to do, they can they can just pick their phone up and find a million things more interesting than watching Sunland lose to MK Dons. It's just, and, and every club's in the same position. I know that we're all in the same boat at the minute. Um, but even there's like there's lads in Roker report. Like I I'll not name them obviously, but one of the lads spoke to me the other day, and he's like, "I'll be honest with you, I haven't even watched a game this season because I've just totally got no interest in it." And and do you? Bl- I don't blame anybody really. Like, if I didn't have a vested interest in doing Rota report, like, there might have been times this season where I just where I have, where maybe I don't give it enough attention to the games. A bit like a bit like I have with maybe the Premier League coverage and stuff, and all the football that's on Sky and that. I mean, because there's more football, I'm probably watching less of it, <laughs> which is a bit strange. Um, but with Sunderland, it's just I get, there's very little enjoyment to get from it. And it would, wouldn't it just be nice to like come away and think we're, we're, pl- we're playing. Really good football. We're blowing teams away without even with the crowds not being there. Like I got that little buzz when we played Oxford away, and there was the lads behind the stand, and the players actually like celebrated for the fans who were peering over the bloody with the ladder. Like that, I got a little buzz out of that because I thought I felt a bit more connected to the team on the pitch. But other than that, we've had nothing really this season to cheer, like feel cheerful about. Um, Which is why I think if a if there was a manager change forthcoming, they wouldn't have to do a lot really to get us. To get the fans on board because we just need to be playing better football. And I think ultimately, if the team are winning every week and playing good stuff, people, everyone buys into it, don't they? And they get on the bandwagon, and it sets us up for when we do get back in the stadium to to, to be quite positive about it. Like I, I feel right now, say that the government came out and said Friday nighters can all, you, maybe, you, I don't know what, five thousand fans can be allowed in the stadium light. Like, just say theoretically that happened. I don't know if there'd be much of a buzz around it. How many people actually want to go and watch us at the minute? The crowds would be pretty low, wouldn't they? If 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 all this wasn't going on.
0: I think you're probably right there. Do you think that um, sort of there's a lot of fans who maybe find other ways to stream the games? Do you think fans would feel less inclined to do that if the football was better and this would make the club a bigger revenue stream? Do you think that that actually the quality of the football? In the stream itself, I know they've made efforts and I'm not I'm not hammering that because I know it's it's cost a lot of money for them to fix, but do you think that it would stop people maybe pirating streams, Tom, if the football on offer was better and you felt like, yeah, okay, they deserve to take my £10 a day or is that me living in a cuckoo land?
2: I think you're onto something there in the sense that in an age of instant gratification, which we're all guilty of, when you pay your money, you want to be entertained, and right now you're paying £10 a go to watch Sunderland and be not entertained... I've found myself sort of four or five times this season. I've spent money on a stream, and after an hour, I'm kind of flicking through my phone or I'm in the group chat because it's genuinely more interesting than what's happening on the pitch. So, if you can't captivate an audience that's been brought up on watching football, like I was going to games before I even really understood what was happening. So, you know, people who've been brought up on that ability, you know, who watch football and watch three, four, five games in a row if they could, not being able to engage for 90 minutes is something's going drastically wrong. And when you can't engage with something that you've spent your money on, then you're not getting your money's worth. But I think another problem is, and I do think it's a wider issue, and it did kind of gain a little bit of traction on social media this week, is the cost of the streams. That's being dictated by the AFL for, for me is just too much. It It's too much because it's not like people use the season ticket argument, but season ticket, you have you have your breaks in between the games. So, yes, you might effectively pay £10 to watch Sunderland, you know, 10, 11, 12 quid, whatever, to watch Sunderland at home. But then it might be two weeks before you go again. So, it's kind of spread out. And I know a Wigan fan who I follow and speak to on Twitter is he pointed out that Wigan have six games in a four week period. So that's, you know, that's a lot of money to be spending on football that otherwise you might not usually spend, especially when you consider your direct debit, your season ticket or whatever. Or, you know, you pay 100 quid every three months. So it's actually costing you more to watch it on online than it is in theory to direct debit a season, season ticket, for instance. So I I think that have kind of have lost the fans a bit because I just think it is too it is effectively too much money for what isn't the full experience of football. It's a very diluted experience. So and I just think a lot of people are like you know they're reluctant to pay 10 pounds a goal when it's not got the same feel to it and the football is ultimately just boring to watch.
1: Okay,
0: well Gav looks like he's turned white so that probably means He's, he's, he's calmed down now and that's probably a good way of ending yeah just don't
1: ask us about Partinson again yeah we'll, 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 end the,
0: we'll end the we'll end the podcast here. so thanks Tom <laughs> thanks guy for coming on it's been a good I call it another therapy session I think it's been quite maybe not as therapeutic as last week but reasonably therapeutic nonetheless so thanks guys for coming on please remember to subscribe You're to Roke Report and read all the good stuff on the website or the app. Um, so yeah thanks for listening guys and, and please let us know on Twitter if you think we're talking shit because it's, it's good to have a